Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Oh, my Savior. 
keep from shouting your name. I was there when you drew the breath of life I could hear your voice the first time that you cried Though you couldn't see me, I was very near 
there's something now that I want you to hear. You will always be a child in my eyes. When you need some love, my arms are open wide. Even when you're growing old, I hope you realize you will always be a child in my eyes. And I was there the first time that you prayed. And I heard all the promises you made. And when you fell before me, crying, Father, I have sinned. I picked you up and held you close again. You will always be a child in my eyes. When you need some love, my arms are open wide. Even when you're growing old, I hope you realize you will always be a child in my eyes. You will always be a child in my eyes. When you need some love, my arms are open wide. And even when growing old I hope you realize you will always be a child in my eyes you will always be a child in my eyes I'm not going to sing it. I'll try, but it'll mess the whole thing up. I met Josh and, and Brittany as I became the pastor of, of this great church. And in the last three years, I have not only come to love them, but I have got to 
sit back and, and watch them. Uh, now, it was painfully obvious early on how much Brittany loved Camden and what a wonderful mother that she was. Uh, but what was also uh, just right out slap you in the face obvious was how much Josh also loved Camden and how much he loved them. Um, three years into it, Camden's given me one high five. I pray for more <laughs> as time goes on. But um, And then a short time ago, the time came for baby Gemma to be born. And as I went to the hospital uh, to visit them, um, I mistakenly thought that I might have an opportunity to hold the child, but was, was quickly able to realize that only Josh could hold that baby. <laughs> and I told Josh and Brittany this morning that um, to watch Josh with Gemma that day uh, has since become the cornerstone by which I view all fathers with their children because it was just such an instantaneous love for some child that he had only met the day before. Uh, and yet as he looked staring into her, there was no doubt in my mind uh, that he truly loved that child. And so Josh and Brittany, I, I thank you for allowing me to watch you guys, to watch you guys grow, uh, to have the opportunity, Brittany, to see you come to saving faith in Christ and to uh, baptize you and just see what a mature family that you are becoming. And, and so at this time, it is one of my greatest honors as a pastor to ever perform a baby dedication. But I thank you for the honor of asking, would Josh and Brittany Hearn and Camden and Gemma please come forward? Don't they look pretty? <laughs> and I'd now like to ask if the family, so if the immediate and extended family, if you would come and kind of stand here in front of the piano. Don't join them on stage, but kind of come and stand up here. I'm going to have a charge for you in a moment. And if you're shy, don't worry. I'm not going to make you stand on your head or do a dance or, or sing a song or anything like that. It's too bad you guys didn't bring anybody with you today. <laughs> we dedicate our children to the Lord and to the promise that we will raise the child in a God-fearing and God-honoring home and church family. It is an acknowledgement that not only do you give promise to raise your child to honor God, but also that the church will also be dedicated to the task of raising your child. Now, dedication is in no way salvation. It is not a promise thereof. However, we do hold fast to the scripture in Proverbs 22, 6, that if we train up a child in the way they should go when they are old, they shall not depart from it. And this blessed occasion to dedicate these children to the desire to follow and submit to God is truly 
a special time for you guys. It's a special time for all of you guys. And church, it is a special time for all of us as well. Josh, the Bible says that you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church, sacrificially, totally, and completely. Will you love Brittany this way, showing Camden and Gemma the example of a godly man? Josh, you are commanded to be the head of your household. Will you lead your family in the way that Christ leads the church? Brittany, you are commanded to submit to Josh as he loves and leads you, being his complement and his helpmate, and showing the biblical example of a godly woman to Camden and Gemma. Will you so love Josh? Brittany, will you seek to honor your husband and nurture, nurture your family according to the example of a virtuous woman from Scripture? Josh and Brittany, together, will you submit Camden and Gemma to the ways of the Lord, seeking to show them what it means to follow Christ? Josh and Brittany, will you provide a God-honoring and God-fearing environment for Camden and Gemma? And will you show your children the importance of a life devoted to Christ and to the church? Family. Will you encourage Josh and Brittany as they seek to raise Camden and Gemma in the ways of the Lord? And will you support and pray for Josh and Brittany as they so do this? And now to the entire congregation. Will you pray fervently and regularly for Josh, Brittany, Camden, and Gemma? You guys better not struggle with that one. I don't know what the message just changed to. Will you, church, be examples to this family as to how we will train a child? And will you love and honor these children as if they are your own? At this time, we will have a prayer of dedication. And then that will conclude our service this morning. And Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for a family who loves you and serves you and truly follows the scriptures from Deuteronomy that they will love you first and then train their children to so love you. God, I thank you for families that still believe in scripture that still believe in honoring God with their family, Lord. I thank you for a man who will lead his family in the ways of the Lord and a woman who will be his complement. God, I thank you for these gifts of these children, so beautiful and so precious. God, I thank you that you would allow me to be in their life even for this season. God, we thank you as a church that you bestow upon us the great honor of seeing these beautiful children grow into young men and young women themselves that they would honor you and nurture you and love you. And God, we pray that one day they would come to a knowledge of you, accept you as their Savior, and follow you in your ways all the days of their lives, thus training their children. God, setting an example of generations to come. God, most of all, we give you the glory because we realize that this is a gift from you, and we thank you for it. It is in your precious name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. It's a shame neither one of them are cute.
Precious. They are precious. Thank you for, as a church family, trusting us to help raise your children. That's a truly meaningful service, one that we don't take lightly. I ask that you would continue to pray for them in the days and years to come. As we continue to worship, we sing Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. Rats. 
you so much choir and Miss Gail thank you for being with us this morning such a sweet sweet spirit in this place and I know that it's the spirit of the Lord what a wonderful expression coming out of our worship through song and heading into our worship through the preaching and teaching of the word Luke Chapter 18, 
verses 31 through 34. Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. The suffering of the Savior foretold. And this week as we wind our way towards Easter and Celebration Sunday and our Good Friday service and our Sunrise service all Celebration Weekend, uh, we started last week accompanying Jesus on his last weeks and days on this earth as he is traveling to Jerusalem to be crucified. Last week we looked at the healing of blind Bartimaeus, the last recorded miracle of Jesus' earthly ministry prior to his saving of the thief and the centurion from the cross. And this morning we're going to look at a few verses in Scripture where Jesus tells his disciples... What is coming when he gets to Jerusalem? He prepares his disciples. He tells them what is going to happen when he gets there. Now, this certainly isn't the first time that Jesus has prepared his disciples for what is coming when the, when the kingdom is established. This isn't the first time that he has told them uh, of the tragedy and the, and the crime and the, the innocent shedding of blood that is going to take place when they get to Jerusalem. He's told them this uh, a few times before, but this morning is kind of the, one of the final times where he would pull his disciples aside and he would say, now we have been on this journey Toward Jerusalem, if you look in the Gospel of Luke, you'll find that now there are nine chapters. Beginning in chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus begins his journey towards Jerusalem. And so they've been on this journey, and he's pulling his disciples aside uh, yet again to say, Listen, when we get there, when we get there, there are things you need to expect. There are things that I don't think you see coming that you need to be prepared for. And he kind of pulls them aside to, to see this. Now, we will see by the end of these verses, <coughs> there is still some confusion on the part of the disciples as to what Jesus is really talking about. But he's letting them know essentially this. When we get there, there are going to be some things occur. And what I want you to know is that I see them coming and I've known they were going to happen for some time now. When we get there, there are some things that are going to occur. You're going to wonder why they're happening to me if I'm the Messiah. And I need you to know that they're happening because I ordained and foretold that they were going to happen. So that you understand this is not some chance, some happenstance, or some mistake. This is the prophecy of old given by God that is to happen to the Son of Man. And so will you please stand in the house if you are able. In honor and reverence for the reading of the holy words of our holy God from Luke. Chapter 18, beginning in verse 31. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and, and will be mocked, and insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him, and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Let us pray. Father God, God, we ask that you would do what only you can do this morning, and that is dwell among your people. God, we are all in this house keenly aware that what we need is a word from you, Lord God. So God, allow us to peel our ears, soften our hearts, prepare our minds, that we might hear from you this morning and that you would be glorified in this service, Lord. 
Let any spirit that is not your Holy Spirit, God, would you escort it out the front door even as we pray, that all the glory and all of the honor and all of the praise would be yours and yours alone, Jesus Christ. And it is in your precious, saving, healing name that we do pray, as all of God's children said, amen, and you may be seated. The first thing we're going to look at this morning is the plan that was prophesied. The plan that was prophesied. Now Jesus takes his disciples to the side. And he says this to him. He says, now listen, when we get to Jerusalem, the things that have been written about me, they're going to occur. When we get there, the things that have been talked about about me from some time, they're going to happen. When we get there, things that have, that have been talked about and, and things that have been written about, the things you studied as a child, they are indeed about to happen. We're getting to where we can see Jerusalem in the distance. Our journey is about to be finished. And when we get there, I need you to know the things that are happening are the things that were prophesied. What are the things, though, that we take just a moment and look to see what Jesus is even talking about to his disciples. What are the things that have been prophesied about? Well, in Psalm 41, 9, it says, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted his heel against me. We know that that prophecy would be fulfilled by Judas Iscariot as he would betray Jesus, even though he was one of his friends. Zechariah eleven twelve says, if you think it's best to give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid but 30 pieces of silver. Those of you that know the story of the betrayal of Jesus know that, that Judas not only fulfilled prophecy by being one of his friends and betraying him, he also fulfilled prophecy with the amount of silver coins that he would receive in exchange for that betrayal. As Judas would turn over our Savior with a kiss in which he was only paid but 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 53, 7 says that he was afflicted but did not open his mouth. And we know that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy for when the charges were levied against him, it says that he silently accepted the charges. Pilate even said, this man does not open his mouth. Psalm 22, 1 and 2 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving, so far from the words of my groaning? And we know that in the ninth hour, according to the gospel accounts, Jesus from the cross cried out, Eloi lama sabachthani, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Thus fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 22. Zechariah 9 and 9 said the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. We will see that fulfilled next week in what is known to the church as the triumphal entry of Jesus as he came into town on the back of a donkey with the palm branches waving and waving as they shouted Hosanna, fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament. And in Exodus 12 and 46, it says that the bones of the Passover lamb will not be broken. And we see this prophecy fulfilled by Jesus, even in his death, as he was strapped to the tree, as they came to let him down. Their normal practice of the Roman soldier would be to break the legs of those hanging on the cross so that they could no longer hold their legs up and draw breath so that they would suffocate sooner. But they came to Jesus, and because he was already dead, they had no need to break the legs. My friends, it wasn't because he was already dead that they had no need. It was because it had been written in the days of old. It had been foretold by the prophets of old when Moses penned the letters under the inspiration of God that the Lamb of God would not have a broken bone. It was known that the soldiers would not break a bone of my Savior, though they would bruise him and they would beat him and they would scourge him. They would not break a single bone. 
And Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. Do you know that there were more than 100 prophecies specifically speaking to the time on the cross and the death of my Savior? And He fulfilled each and every one of them perfectly. Those are just a minute few examples. And Jesus is telling His disciples as He pulls them to the side, I need you to think of all the stories you were told when you were a child about the death of the Messiah. And I need you to realize that they are about to happen the way they were written. The plan that was begun in the beginning when God created the heavens and earth and man sinned and fell short of his glory, the plan was always Jesus. And it was always foretold that way. When man sinned and there was a chasm formed between a holy God and an imperfect man, the bridge that crosses that chasm was always Jesus. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't an oops. It wasn't a what are we going to do. It was a since the beginning of time, my holy lamb will be the one that bridges the gap between the sinful man and the holy God. And you say, what does that have to do with us, Brother Jason? What does that have to do with us? Thank you, Brother Jason, for showing that you can read some stories from the Old Testament and you can read some things in the New Testament and they agree. Thank you for sharing that Bible knowledge. But what does it really mean to us here a few weeks before Easter? Well, the fact of the matter is this. The biggest offense of Jesus to so many is the fact that He wasn't just some man who stumbled into some death in Jerusalem on that day. Now I want you to think of this with me. There are many religions in this world that stand on the premise of good men doing good things. Many of them even believe that Jesus was indeed a man who historically did live. Some of those even would believe that this good man who did live was in fact crucified a terrible death by the Roman soldiers. But my friends, there is no offense to those who don't believe greater than the fact that Jesus was not just a man that died. That Jesus wasn't just stumbling into a crucifixion, but that it was foretold that he was not just a man, but he was God who put on flesh and dwelt among men and strapped himself to a tree that was prophesied about. Dying for the sins of those whom he had created. Those whom had rejected him, he died for. And that is the greatest stumbling block to those who don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. That he was the Lord God. The fact that the Lord of all creation would come to this earth, put on flesh, dwell among us, endure temptation, Feel emotion, endure loss, endure suffering, and do it all knowing that it was coming. Do it all perfectly fulfilling the prophecies leaves no doubt that this Jesus was more than a man. 
No man could come and fulfill the prophecy so perfectly. But Jesus Christ, being God, fulfilled them perfectly. And as he pulls his disciples aside, he says, I want you to know that what's about to happen to me has already been spoken about in the days of old. I need you to remember that because if you don't remember that, you're going to think these events are just occurring. And my friend, I'm here to tell you this morning, as we head into Good Friday, as we celebrate on Good Friday, the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed on that cross as we regather at sunrise and we celebrate the stone rolling back and the Savior coming out of the tomb and as we come here at 1030 on Celebration Sunday and we celebrate the fact that the Savior is no longer in the grave because up from the grave He arose. When we get together and celebrate that, we are not celebrating that some man did these things. Not Jesus defeating death wasn't what made him Jesus. If you remember correctly, Lazarus once beat death at the mouth of Jesus. Jesus beating death being the Son of Man, being fully God, being fully man, the one who was talked about from old, defeating death and rising again, is our hope for salvation because he was the one who was spoken about. Not because he was just someone. And that, my friends, is our hope. That is our salvation. And that is the only thing we have to hang our hat on in this world. Because if He wasn't God, then He could not atone for our sins. If He wasn't blameless, then He could not have lived our life in our place. If He wasn't holy, then He couldn't make us righteous. The second thing we're going to look at this morning is the purpose and the pain. Jesus was going to Jerusalem. The prophecies were going to be fulfilled. Now one of the prophecies that we're going to look at for just a few moments is the prophecy of Psalm 22. You don't have to turn there. but I want you to make it in your notes in case you want to read it later. But in Psalm 22, we're going to look at a few things it says. In the prophecy of Psalm 22, it says that Jesus was surrounded by dogs and the congregation of the wicked had enclosed him. Now the dogs that it's speaking of here are the Gentiles. It would have been those who were foreign, those who were not Jews, those who were not of his nationality and the brotherhood. And as he wrote, he said that Jesus would be surrounded by the dogs. And this spoke to this fact. I want you to think of this with me. Think about how important this was. It's not just that before time God ordained that things would happen. It's that he perfectly put these things into motion. And at this very time when Jesus, 33 years into his earthly ministry, would be going to Jerusalem to lay down his life, at this very time Jerusalem would not be under Jewish rule. Now it came in and out of Jewish rule so many times throughout history. But at this time in history, the Jewish people were ruled by the Romans. Now that is important because if it had not been ruled by the Romans, then the prophecy would not be fulfilled. And let me tell you what I mean about that. When the Romans took over an area, they would allow you to keep your local government in place. So there was a Jewish government that was in place, but it was a limited government. It only had the power that was given to it by the Romans. And so the Romans gave them certain powers. One of the powers that the Jewish people didn't have was the power to provide the death penalty. That had to be approved by the Roman government. The Jews had no authority to slay the Lamb of God. They couldn't have done it if they wanted to, not legally, 
So when they went, they had to go to Pilate. They had to go to the Roman governor and they had to ask him for the death penalty. Why was that the case? Because it would fulfill the prophecy that Jesus would be handed over to the dogs. And that's what happened. He was handed over to the Gentiles. Now, the standard Jewish death penalty would have been stoning, not crucifixion. Crucifixion was a Roman process that was so heinous, it was not even allowed for non-Roman citizens. They would not have crucified someone who had Roman citizenship. But Jesus, having no Roman citizenship, was crucified, thus fulfilling all of the prophecy. In Psalm 22, it also says that they divided his garments and for his clothing... They cast lots. When we look at the cross of Christ, we'll see that they cast lots for his clothing. Psalm 22 speaks of his time on the cross. When they would cry out. He says he is the Lord. If he is the Lord, surely he will save himself. We see that fulfilled painfully. On the cross. Imagine with me the Savior of the world, the Creator of the world. If you read Colossians, you understand that He was there in the beginning. When it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that was Jesus. It says in Colossians that through Him all things were created, and nothing that was created was not created through Him and for Him. So He was there. So he is the creator of all things and strapped to a tree. This crown jewel of his creation, mankind made to glorify him, would look to him and say, if you're the Lord, save yourself. The very people who would shout Hosanna a few days before would shout, crucify him. If you're the Lord, save yourself. Hell, the king of the Jews, imagine the pain of the rejection of Jesus. As strapped to the cross, he knew that one of the twelve he had loved and nurtured and cared for and taught would be the one that would sell him out in the end. Imagine the pain of that rejection. Go with me in Isaiah 53 where he says that he's bruised for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Go with me to the cross. Walk with me through every agonizing blow. As they swung the cat of nine tails, a piece of leather essentially, with shards of bone and glass and metal. And as they striped the Savior's back, each strike piercing the skin. Sit there with me. Watch the soldiers drive the nails to his hand. Look at that bloody mess. Barely recognizable. And realize that he's the Lamb of God. Look at his head. Placed upon it a crown of many thorns. Not just set on his head, but driven into his head. Listen to him. He says from the cross, I thirst. Then watch them with a sponge filled with vinegar shove it into his mouth. My friend, try to take a deep breath 
and recognize that with every breath Jesus took, the lung capacity would go down a little bit. So that by the end, he was no longer taking a deep breath, but gasping. (laughs) Look upon the pain of that suffering servant on that bloody cross. But my friend, amidst all that suffering, don't you lose sight of the worst agony that Jesus endured. It wasn't the spear in his side. It wasn't the nails in his hands. It wasn't the crown on his head. It wasn't the stripes on his back that he willingly took. But it was when Jesus, taking all of your sin on himself, cried out, Alo, alo, lama sabachthini. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The pain, oh, it was agonizing. But the purpose, it was glorifying. Because had Jesus not strapped to that tree become sin for you and I, had God not had to turn his back on his son for that moment. Why? Because God can't be present with sin and in that moment Jesus became our sin. But my friends, had Jesus not done that, you and I would still be paying the penalty for our sin. And you know how well we pay the penalty for our sin? We can't. We would be damned and doomed for hell if not for that Savior in those agonizing moments, enduring the pain, but most importantly, enduring the wrath of God for our sins. So the pain, it was excruciating. But John 3.16 says the purpose was glorifying when it says that God so loved you. That he gave his life, his only begotten son, he gave his life that you may have life. Why? Because he loved you. Romans says that he loved you while you were still a sinner. While you were unworthy, useless, and with nothing to offer, he loved you enough to die for you and endure for you. My friends, don't you ever forget the pain Physically of Jesus, but don't, don't ever forget the spiritual agony that Jesus had to endure on that cross. And my friend Jesus, he drew his final breath. And when he did, he shouted out with a victory cry. It is finished. But can I just give you a little spoiler to the Celebration Sunday message and you still promise to come knowing what happens? He didn't stay dead. Kids sang a song this morning. God's not dead. He's surely alive. Living on the inside. He's roaring like a lion. My friends, Genesis 3 and 15 said that the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. And that's what happened on that cross. Oh, death and Satan, they bruised the heel of the Savior. 
They dealt an agonizing blow as he drew his final breath and they laid him in that borrowed tomb. But can I just tell you the rest of Genesis 3.15 says that while the serpent may bruise the heel of the Savior, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And on Easter Sunday morning, bless God, the head of the serpent was crushed. When the stone rolled back, Jesus walked out and He said, I've conquered the grave, I've conquered the death, I've conquered the sin, and I've done it because I love my people. And Satan, you don't got them no more. They belong to me. The purpose was glorifying to the Father, though the pain was agonizing for the Son. The third thing we're going to explore this morning is from verse 34. It says this. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. It says a lot more, but I'll break it down into perfect Greek to English translation. It says they didn't get it. Jesus told them what was coming. They didn't understand it. It literally means they have no clue what Jesus is talking about. Now, those of you with children, you'll know what I'm about to say. There's sometimes that I pull my precious Carter aside and I look him deep in his eyes and I say, Son, I need you to walk home. I need you to get my Bible and my green book. And he looks at me like the disciples looked at Jesus. But when he comes back with a yoo-hoo and a pencil, (laughs) I understand that he had no clue what I was talking about. I love him too, bless God. Jesus took his disciples aside to prepare them for what was to come. He said, when I get there, all the prophecy will be fulfilled. Yes, what I want you to know, disciples, is even the bad ones. They're going to happen. And they looked at him and they had no clue what he was talking about. Why were they struggling so much? Well, you see, the disciples, they had a problem. They understood what they wanted about Jesus. They only grabbed about Jesus the things that they wanted to grab. They they understood the messianic prophecy of Jesus. They understood all the good stuff. They wanted to follow the king. They wanted to follow the one that would deliver Jerusalem. They wanted to follow the one that would would set up rule and would rule for eternity. They thought that Jesus' reign was going to begin in Jerusalem on that day and he was going to overthrow the Roman oppression and they were going to rule forevermore as the children of God. And they, they were really, really good with that. You see, they expected a coronation, but they weren't prepared for a crucifixion. The idea that the Messiah would be crucified, well, it was absurd to them. Even the Gentiles had gods and they had stories as to how the gods would interact with men, but nobody would ever have a story of how a god would come down and become man and allow man to slay it on a cross. That story didn't make sense to them. No Messiah, no God could ever do that. In fact, Deuteronomy would say that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. 
And they were perplexed because they could not understand this idea of following a Messiah who was on his way to die. So they didn't understand what he meant. They believed he was going to establish his kingdom. They just didn't understand that his kingdom was for eternity. They believed he was going to claim his victory. They just didn't understand that it had to happen by dying. What about you this morning? You see, a lot of people are okay with a little understanding of Jesus. Most people are even good with the Jesus who died for your sins. Most people are okay with the Jesus who came to deliver you. Most of us are great with the Jesus who gives us our get out of hell free card. The problem though, it's a little problem with having an impartial view of Jesus. It's that Jesus didn't just come to be your Savior. He came to be your Lord. You don't get to give him your sin and say Jesus paid it all without singing the second part, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Absolutely, Jesus paid it all. He washed it white as snow. But when he pays it all for you, when you come and confess him as Lord, that means you say all to him I owe. You can't have the Jesus of celebration Sunday without having the persecution of Good Friday. You can't have the good things without taking the persecution. You can't have the Jesus that said, if you confess me with your mouth, then you shall be saved without understanding that to accept that Jesus says, if they hated me, they'll hate you too. And you will endure persecution. And so I come to you this morning and I ask you this question. Church, will you give it all to Jesus this morning? Maybe you're here. You've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Will you come this morning and say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to follow him all my life. I've heard something about this Savior, this suffering servant on a cross, and I, I want to accept him as my Savior, and I want to follow him as my Lord. Maybe you're here and you say, Brother Jason, I came some time ago and, and I prayed a prayer to Jesus, but I, my life never changed. Nothing ever happened. He's never been the Lord of my life. I want to make him the Lord of my life. Will you come this morning? But maybe you're here, church. <coughs> and you've no doubt in your mind that you're saved. You know that he's the Lord of your life. You know that your sin debt has been paid by him. But your life doesn't reflect it this morning. There's something in your life and you say, I'd like to lay it down, but I'm not sure I can. Something's going on in, in, in your world and you say, I know I need to give it to Jesus, but I, I just I need to hold on to it myself. I, I've got to do some things with it first before I'm ready to give it to Jesus. Will, will you come this morning and accept the freedom that comes from Jesus? He's already washed you of your sin. 
He's already saved you. Now, will you come and live for him? Because let me, let me just let you in on a little secret. Until you come and give Jesus all of those hidden places in your heart, you can't glorify him with your life. And you can say all the right words, but until you give him all, you can't be used by him fully. <clears throat> so will you come this morning and lay those burdens at his feet? Let us pray. Father God, God, we come to you this morning. God, as we look to your cross, it should hurt us. And God, it should hurt us because it should have been us. God, as we look to every stripe that you took upon your back, we should recognize that that stripe was for me. God, as we look to every agonizing breath on that cross, it should pain us because we recognize that it should have been us. And so, God, as we sit in your house, all those, I don't care if you've been a believer for 15 minutes or 15 years or 50 years. God, we've got something that we need to bring to your altar this morning and say, not only did you die for me, Jesus, but you bought me and I want to follow you and I want to give it all to you. And God, I realize that that takes courage. But even more than courage, it takes commitment and conviction. So God, would you convict us of the things that we need to give to you this morning? And God, if there be one here, who's never placed their hand in the nail-scarred hand. Would you give them the conviction? Would you save their soul this morning and give them the courage to come forward and say, I want to follow Jesus. And it is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.